Alright, well, welcome back to another episode of Chaos Friday, where we're going to discuss things that happened while we were away. But before we get to that, how about we introduce one another? Uh, to my left is Gary. Gary, how are we doing this evening? Ah, weep, grana, weep, ninibong, Matt. I'm gonna you have no this. idea what that means, do you? Okay. <laughs> no. But I'm assuming somebody. Great, great. Right. Doing and well, the, Matthew. Doing well. <laughs> how are you? Beneath me in this Zoom call, I've got Mark. Mark, how are we doing? I, I'm doing great. I think Gary, uh, Matt didn't get it because you didn't offer him an Energon snack. <laughs> kind of hard to do via Zoom. Well, you know, you, you could have at least tried. I, I, I laid the blame completely at your feet for not even giving it an effort. All right. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. And uh, I guess diagonal for me in our meeting here is going to be the one and only Darren, how are you insert, doing? Insert insert ambiguous pop culture reference here. There we are, absolutely. Now that is on you, brand Matt? for us. On brand for us. Well, we're running one shy, so we're going to send all of our positive energy towards Phil this evening. But just want to go ahead and move forward and talk about some of the top stories that happened while we were away. Now, Darren, you're going to lead us off here and discuss a very somber moment here, are we not? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess there's really no easy way to start here. The comic book industry lost two titans in successive weeks. On April 28th, Neil Adams passed away at the age of 80. George Perez passed away at age 67 on May 6th. For more on George Perez, I spent a lot of time talking about him ahead of our What You Looking Forward To 2022 episode. In summary, when Tim, Phil, and I did our favorite artist episode, George Perez, George Perez came in at my number one slot. He is my all-time favorite artist, and I have not been shy about my love for George Perez since we began the podcast. Check out the What You Looking Forward To uh, episode when uh, we found out that he announced that he was very ill. Now, in my number two slot, Neil Adams. <clears throat> he was listed as my number two all-time favorite artist. Neil Adams revolutionized the comic book uh, artistry in the 1970s. Though his roots can be traced back to 1959 at Archie Comics, he is most widely known for his run on Batman and Detective Comics when Denny O'Neill, with Denny O'Neill, who passed away in June of 2020. Adams and O'Neill are properly considered one of the greatest writer-artist tandems in comics history. While they did not immediately succeed the camp era of Batman, Adams and O'Neill added a level of sophistication to the Batman titles. They were the first to take Batman out of Gotham routinely, making him a globe-trotting detective. Adams had a hand in creating Ra's al Ghul, the League of Assassins, Jon Stewart, Green Lantern, Merlin, and Man Bat, among others. Adams seemed the model of consistency and was pretty active right up until the end. And man, he still had it, too. <clears throat> According to his wiki page, his last dance as an interior artist was a four-issue Fantastic Four miniseries titled Antithesis. This is in 2018. His final work in comics appears to be uh, a four-issue miniseries, Batman vs. Ra's al Ghul, which he wrote and provided some artwork. The final issue of that series was released in March of 2021. So he kept going straight up until the last year or so. Adams was instrumental in pressuring DC to restore creator credit to Superman for Superman to Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. He detailed his journey years ago when he famously was a guest on Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman podcast, which was an 
absolute clinic. If you ever get a chance to check that out, it's like a two-parter. Neil Adams, Kevin Smith, who's uh, quite famously a mile-a-minute talker, virtually says nothing, and Neil Adams just goes off, and it's awesome. He stated in that podcast that he, like all, were well aware of Bill Finger's contributions to Batman, but that he could never get Finger, who he describes as too nice a man, to stick up for himself. He was an earlier champion for creator-owned credits and rights. His is the image of Batman I see above all others. His cover art during his Batman run is unparalleled. In fact, you can still see evidence of his work in much of DC's promotional material. His characters were drawn more like athletes than hulking beasts of men. His Superman and Clark Kent felt different, and his Bruce Wayne and Batman more effectively so. And I was very fortunate. I reshared the photo with you guys a couple of days ago. I was able to meet him at Wizard World Cleveland a few years ago. And he get ahead a little bit of a reputation to be a bit gruff, but he could not have been nicer. I happened to get there a little early. He was sitting by himself at his table, which shocked me. <clears throat> and his handler was not there to take the money. And I just said, hey, do you know she's going to be back? And he said, no, just come around, pal. He didn't even charge me for the photograph. So that photograph you see of me shaking his hand, he invited me back behind his desk to sit next to him, showed me some of his stuff, and shook my hand. Maria took the picture. He says, hey, thanks for stopping by. Later, when I walked by, he would stand up behind the table, and he would take the picture with people standing on the other side. So I don't know, man. I got the very best of Neil Adams that day. Uh, but these, both George Perez and Neil Adams, man, to lose both of these guys in this short amount of time, there is a massive hole left in comic book artistry at this point, wouldn't you say, Mark? Oh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't with you guys when you did your uh, all-time favorites list, but uh, Neil Adams probably would have clocked in my number one. I mean, his artwork was a huge inspiration on me. Um, one of the tenets of the comic I published was that people would be drawn realistically, and what I usually pointed to was Neil Adams. Um, like you said, I mean, his stuff is always going to be present when you see DC. He's like the definitive classic Batman. Um, I mean, when I worked in a, an industry where we did greeting cards and things with licensed characters, most of the stock artwork we downloaded of Batman was obviously Neil Adams' work. <laughs> so he's just, uh, yeah, it's prevalent throughout the industry. Everybody knows his stuff on site. It's, it, it shattered me when I found that out. Matt, Gary, you guys have any comments on either George Perez or Neil Adams? Are you familiar with them? I know you, uh, Gary, you didn't travel down those same roads, but obviously he's someone that is larger than the heroes that he even drew. Well, I mean, I, I remember hearing you talk about him, you know, for years, all the way back to, you know, Teen Titan days when we were in high school. I mean, that was, <clears throat> you know, the, the uh, I'll say, now I'm drawing a blank again. Now they want to say it. Uh, his, his partner on that, Perez and. Marv Wolfman. Wolfman and Perez, yes. I mean, I, I've heard you list them for decades. You know, I've heard you talk about him. Um, I, I am curious, and I'm not to be disrespectful, but who was your number three favorite artist, just out of curiosity? Uh, okay, so, Mark, you're going to have to buckle up for this one. It was either Scott McDaniel or Tim Sale. Now, reminder, this is favorite artists, okay? I make no comment on ability here other than then they are my favorite okay i'm just saying since you know one and two have just unceremoniously left didn't know who was next on the list well, the other guys are i uh, probably a couple generations behind them so okay i'm not <laughs> it, 
Darren, you didn't say Frank Miller was your third favorite, so we're all good. Yeah, but be careful because someone on this podcast will. Don't want to say who <laughs> they're not here tonight. <laughs> I know he's in. I'll say this. Who would he be referring to, Matt? <laughs> I know he's in the top ten for sure. That is that is a given. Are we talking art or writing? Because one I can get behind, uh, no, the other is, not so much. This is in the favorite artist <laughs> episode. Which, by the way, guys, given that the, we need to, that's one we need to revisit at some point down the line for sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh, not really during my, uh, I guess, my comic book time. Either Perez or Adams, honestly. I mean, I, I have some Adams books. Again, these were... You know, things were picked up at gas stations when my dad was out of town or something like that. It wasn't anything I collected religiously at the time, but I, I know I have a few of his books lying around. You know, this to me, like, even if you weren't a DC or Marvel guy or whatever, like, you hear this, this is like when you heard Ted Williams died. Like, you may not be a baseball fan, you're like, damn, Ted Williams died. You know, I mean, that's, to me, this is kind of like the same thing. All right. Mark, I've had anything to add there. I mean, no, other than I, I kind of regret that I don't know more about them. So, no, I think uh, I, it'll cause me here. And I know, <laughs> I, you know, I respect your opinion anyway, Darren, but it'll cause me here to probably go back and take a look at a few things and, and see if there isn't something out there that sticks out to me. But no, I'm sorry for your losses, Darren. We're all losing this one. Um, Mark, there's some really interesting things happening down at uh, Disney World, which I will be at next month. At the it's moment, <laughs> if it's still there, Parma, get on that. All right. Well, that wasn't an awkward transition at all. <laughs> all right. So uh, response to Disney. Uh, Disney's running into some problems in Florida with their Walt Disney World Park. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, there was an issue where Disney had underhandedly supported uh, ultra-conservative Republican candidates in their parental rights and education bill, AKA the so-called don't say gay bill. And uh, there was a massive backlash both from the public and from within cast members and employees within the company that led Disney and their CEO, Bob Chapek, to completely 180 their position and fight against said bill. Now in punitive measures, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is uh, revoking Disney's special status. Uh, Disney had signed the Reedy Creek Improvement District from Florida, which takes roughly 40 square miles of Orange and Osceola counties, signed into law in 1967, preparation for the construction of Walt Disney World. This agreement allows Disney to act as a governing body without the state's oversights of a typical <laughs> governing system. So Disney um, basically mans their own fire department, their own police stations, their own electric company, their own waste disposal. They do everything that a community would normally do. And uh, there's some inherent problems with dissolving that agreement. Um, <laughs> one, there's legal ramifications. Uh, there's over $1 billion in debt owed to the bond for this system, which means that taxpayers would get saddled with that money in the state of Florida because Disney's not on the hook for it. Uh, the counties would then have to pay for said services and provide them to Disney World, which would also put more out of taxpayer pocket. Now, taxpayers across, across those counties are suing the state of Florida 
based on this uh, outcome, which has been signed into law and will go into effect on June of 2023. Now, uh, Disney's response to this was to, we had recently reported that they pulled all of their creative personnel, animation, Imagineering out of Burbank, California and moved them to Florida. And so now they have reversed that decision and upended everybody back to Burbank as step one. Um, now, I'm sure they're going to appeal and fight this because it will have catastrophic effects on their ability to uh, maintain profit and maintain their properties. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. Yikes. Um, yeah, speak, and speaking of uh, Florida and ironically the thing that, or coincidentally rather, the thing that started the Reedy Creek Improvement Agreement with Florida was originally the Epcot Center which stood for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. It was supposed to be a functioning city, hence the uh, deal with Florida for that. Now, Epcot is currently getting a revamp uh, in 2021 in summer. It was changed from having two worlds, World Showcase, with multiple lands representing different countries, and Future World, which was the technology side. The Future section was split up into three separate lands now. And those are known as World Celebration, World Nature, and World Discovery, each being populated with different things in building on the themes of promoting world unity and conservation. Uh, one of the main attractions that is supposed to be unveiled here is, one, a revamp of the main thoroughfare with lots more nature, flowers, plants, and a more natural look. And a new attraction called Journey of Water, inspired by Moana, which will apparently let guests interact with living water, as in the cartoon. How they're going to pull that off, I'm not sure. And last but certainly not least in Epcot, we also have Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind Coaster, opening on May 27th. Uh, This is a new reverse launch Omni Coaster, they're calling it, which means it takes the ride system of something like the Haunted Mansion, excuse me, which has an Omni Mover, which allows the cars to turn and focus the guest's attention in any direction, with a magnetic reverse launch roller coaster. Uh, The plot revolves around the Guardians trying to stop a a Celestial who is trying to rewind time and reboot Earth to undo the mistakes of humanity. Apparently, uh, preliminary riders have said is a very high production quality. It's being described as being on Space Mountain on steroids in the middle of a big-budget MCU spectacular. Uh, also of note, uh, all cast members reprising their roles, including Glenn Close as Nova Prime, and a new addition, Terry Crews as the new commander of the Nova Corps. Yes! <laughs> hoping. Yes! Hoping. Yes! This, this yes! Is got, right, Gary? Yeah! This is to carry over into the movies, right? Yeah! <laughs> And uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind opens May 27th. So, Darren, you'll have to report back and let us know how it is. Probably won't get on. <laughs> you don't want to wait in line for four hours? Uh, I it's not me waiting in line for four hours. It's, that's the problem. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of things and historical time loops, Gary? <laughs> okay, I see where you're going with that. Okay. Um, back in September of 2021... Uh, nourished by the anticipation of the yet-to-be-released Spider-Man No Way Home, a graded copy of Amazing Fantasy XV, the first appearance of Spider-Man, sold at auction for $3.6 million, putting it ahead of Action Comics number 1 as the most expensive comic book ever sold. CGC has since confirmed the sale of a 8.0 graded copy of Superman number 1, not Action Comics number 1, Superman number one 
which sold at auction on April 13th of this year for the paltry sum of $5.3 million to an anonymous player. <laughs> Uh, the book, according to CGC, is one of four copies to grade over a 6.0 and came from the famous Edgar Church slash Mile High collection. Um, while not the book I was expecting to take the number one spot, at least Superman is back on top. For now. In other Superman news... Yeah, I forgot to scrap this off the rundown, didn't I? In a story that I am absolutely sick of reporting on... You know, let me summarize it for you. Cavill's out as Superman. He's back. He's out. He's back. He's out. Okay, this time, guys, that's it. He's out. Super Henry Cavill is out as Superman, except that he's not. Except that he is, because now we're going to do a Superman of color. It's not Michael Jordan. No, not, not that Michael Jordan, but not that Michael Jordan. He's not in it, even though he totally is. Yeah, so just pick something from that, and there's your Superman update. Let's move on to something that we're pretty sure is happening, Matt. Finally, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, we got our first glimpse of Avatar. So we've got Avatar, The Way of Water. Um, if you guys had the opportunity to see the most recent Doctor Strange film, there was a teaser trailer that kicked that off uh, that is due to be released on December 16th of this year. So December 16th, 2022. Uh, in it, we're going to see uh, Zoe Saldana, Sam Worthington, and Sigourney Weaver reprised their roles, uh, as well as new additions, Michelle Yao and Kate Winslet. Uh, so I am very, very excited. I know that's something that I definitely was looking forward to for this upcoming year. Uh, but finally, we get our first peek at what Avatar Way of the World, or Avatar 2, as some of our sarcastic brethren and sisters on the interwebs have said for a while now. So only took them 13 years to figure it out. You pumped up for this, man? Oh, very. Very excited. As much as I want to be sarcastic, I just, uh, I really am actually very, very giddy about the idea of that. And yes, if you're wondering whether or not I watched the teaser trailer multiple times, again, the answer is yes. So 100%. All right. Gary, are you going to talk to us a little bit about a Sam Raimi property here? Is that what this is going to be? Um, you said that trailer was shown during the Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. Um, director of said movie, Sam Raimi. During a Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness interview, says that a Darkman sequel is in the works at Universal. Uh, in 1990, Liam Neeson played Dr. Peyton Westlake, a man that was able to alter his appearance and was seeking vengeance on the mob that disfigured him. Uh, two direct-to-video sequels in uh, 1995 and 1996 um, were, were there. I mean, they... <laughs> They, neither of them starred Neeson. Um, I never saw them. I honestly wasn't even aware they existed. Uh, Raimi didn't specify whether or not Neeson would be involved in the new sequel, nor whether or not he himself would have any involvement in it as a director or producer, only that a producer has been attached to the project, and that is all he knows at this time. Uh, here's something else is... Uh, got a producer attached to it matt absolutely right and boy i'd really love to shout out the date on this one but i'll just say that very very recently <laughs> the filming for ahsoka has begun so if you guys remember um we did see ahsoka uh recently in uh the mandalorian and she's reprising her role that is rosario dawson reprising her role as ahsoka tano uh we're also going to see the return of hayden christensen who 
I said it before when we were talking about Obi-Wan. I don't understand the fascination with Star Wars fans and, and him reprising his role as Darth Vader, but he'll be there nonetheless. If you're fans of the Rebel TV show, we'll see a live action version of Sabine Wren. Uh, in an interview regarding the uh, production of the of the show, Bryce Dallas Howard um, is the director, is going to be a director. She's actually directed multiple episodes with Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, she stated that those who are fans of the Clone Wars, the um, CGI film, or I'm sorry, I apologize, the animated cartoon, uh, are going to love Ahsoka. So I'm going to be very excited to see how they do this because I, I really think that character is a very fascinating one there. So very excited about that. <coughs> I, I hear there's also some rumors circulating around that uh, Lars Mikkelsen will be resuming his role of Thrawn in live action. Oh, don't know if that's been confirmed yet. I would love to see that. Yeah, that's kind of been one of those things that I would always like to see in person, uh, see the live action version of Thrawn. Uh, definitely a character that I've always found really fascinating. Well, since I picked up Heir to the Empire, but yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite villains uh, in Star Wars of all time. Yeah, I mean, he might be. I, it, obviously, we have to go with Darth Vader. That's just given. Um, but man, he's so good. He's such a good <laughs> yeah, they, villain. They, they really did him justice on Rebels. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. No, I agree. And that's a show that Mark and I have discussed plenty of times. Um, so, okay, going with more Star Wars news. So we celebrated May the 4th recently. Uh, and lead up to that, Polygon went ahead and decided to not only talk about some of the films and the TV shows that are coming out, but also highlighted some of the video games that are going to be coming forward. So I'm just going to highlight a couple of those. So a little while back, I talked about how Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is receiving a sequel from Respawn Entertainment. Um, but additionally, coming out is going to be a reboot of the 2003 video game called Knights of the Old Republic. <coughs> Remake is, like I said, a digital, uh, I'm sorry, it's going to be based on the 2003 original and is going to be released exclusively for next-gen models. So we're talking about PlayStation uh, 5 and console models exclusively at launch. So there we are with that. Moving forward and on to something else, Mark. Or in the words of Monty Python, and now for something completely different. So uh, we also have Batman Unburied this month, which is a new podcast reimagining of the Batman mythos on Spotify by David S. Goyer, who many will know as the co-author of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, starting on May 3rd, it has dethroned Joe Rogan as Spotify's most listened to program. The series follows Dr. Bruce Wayne, a forensic pathologist who becomes the Batman to stop a cannibalistic serial killer plaguing Gotham known as the Harvester. Uh, the show stars Winston Duke, a.k.a. Black Panther's Mabaku, as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Jason Isaacs as Alfred, and Sam Witwer as the Harvester. Also starring in a random role, I'll throw this out for Gary, Lance Reddick plays Thomas Wayne, who is still alive in this continuity. You will know him as Silence from Horizon. Oh. Throwing that out there for you, buddy. That bet. Oh, never mind. Isn't he, sure, <laughs> isn't he Lieutenant Daniels, Matt? the wire oh yeah yeah okay absolutely i didn't recognize i knew i recognized that name but yeah thank you for bringing that up i appreciate that awesome character lance reddick is one of those guys that you'll see him go oh that guy mm -hmm. he's been in yeah, so guy. many different things i'm surprised he isn't in more because he's got such a presence about him he does mm -hmm. he's very um commanding yes excellent word yeah I, I finally as you guys know finally uh got horizon on the old uh video game machine there and it starts right off where the last one left and silence is still a jerk yeah 
Sounds like you're very satisfied. He, he, he is still a not suitable for this podcast. <laughs> Speaking of not suitable for the podcast was the text chain that was sent out regarding Horizon. The uh, oh, really? uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's a little behind the curtain there for well, the folks listening right now. <laughs> now that we put the ball back in Gary's court. <sighs> Sorry, it still hurts. Okay. Um, it appears that Netflix's original animation department has all but fallen apart. Uh, Phil Rinda, uh, Netflix's <coughs> director of creative leadership and development for original animation, <sighs> has been let go in April, and many of the high-profile projects, most notably Jeff Smith's beloved comic series Bone, are dead at the streaming service. Uh, this is the third time Bone has failed to be adapted. Uh, Nickelodeon movies and Warner Brothers pictures have already failed to make a Bone adaptation. Series creator Jeff Smith is disappointed, to say the least. He's just embarrassed that I keep falling for it, referring to production companies' willingnesses to adapt the series. Uh, according to a post on Twitter, Smith says, never again. Um, speaking of other things that are <laughs> dead, uh, Batwoman and Legends of Tomorrow will not be seeing seasons four and eight, respectively, on the CW, as both series have been canceled. That leaves The Flash, season nine, and Superman and Lois, uh, season three, as the last remaining Arrowverse shows on the network. Uh, Stargirl, third season, technically is not part of the Arrowverse, but currently is still there. Uh, Batwoman has been a ratings nightmare for years, but that might not be the reason for its cancellation. Uh, the CW is reportedly for sale by its owners, Viacom and Warner Media, and it has a roster of high-budget superhero shows. Uh, that, along with the ordered pilot episode for Gotham Knights, may have eliminated the need for a Bat-related standalone show. The CW holds its upfront presentation on May 19th, so we may learn the fate of other shows during that presentation. I wonder if eliminating high-budget superhero shows is a way to make it more attractive to a potential buyer by eliminating some residual overhead cost. That's that's possible, um, and I only say that because I was a uh, a temp at a company that was you know was a temp to hire, and when it came up to my hire time, uh, they wouldn't hire me. And as it turns out, the company was sort of behind closed doors, was for sale, and by throwing my additional salary onto the pile it would have just jacked up the price i mean i, I don't make that much but Enough. apparently you know <laughs> as a contractor it didn't count against the bottom line oh that makes sense so yeah i, I think that is part of the reason is just uh you know the, these are the expenditures we have planned out for next year you would be responsible for these so I get, can we say that i get why people are upset about maybe batwoman being canceled but Legends of Tomorrow, I mean, you got seven years out of that show. What else do you want? I mean, come on. I think that a lot. I honestly still don't know anything about it. That's a lot. Of, I, don't, I didn't really watch it, but I mean, it's not like it was Hawkman or Aquaman or Batman, for God's sake. So you got seven years of Legends of Tomorrow? Yeah. I mean, I mean, talk about... All right, guys, we're going to the well a little bit too often now. It's time to put this thing to bed. I think Batwoman still got like 53 episodes or something out of it, you know, for three right. seasons. For Batwoman? Every time I see fans complain when a show like that gets canceled, I think, yeah, do you know how many shows I've loved that got one season? 
Firefly, for God's sake. That's like the poster child, right? Yeah, I would say that's the gold standard for shows that needed to go longer but didn't. I think Mark, you and I were really good fans of uh, The Expanse, right? Didn't you? Did you finish oh, yeah. that? Yeah, that was another show that I mean, it, I, I love it when a show bows out gracefully and they they leave the audience wanting more rather than the audience wondering why they continue to do it. Um, and and Darren brought up The Wire a little bit ago. I think that's great when shows are able to do that. But man, uh, yeah, watching some of these shows get canceled when they're really kind of starting to pick up steam is a very frustrating thing. I was let me tell you something. As a guy who watched all of Arrow. I gave up on The Flash a year ago. And like Superman and Lois, I had no idea Legends of Tomorrow was still going. <laughs> yeah, it's still just happily chugging along. <laughs> good for them. Good for them, though, man. Come on. That's some damn good work there. Hey, so- sidebar, Matt. Did you uh, finish Moon Knight? Yes. Speaking of shows that were picking up steam and stopped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know we, we talked about it via text, but man, uh, getting off on a tangent here, Oscar Isaac, man, he's amazing. Yep. Yeah, he's a good actor. I think I enjoyed him more than I enjoyed the show. Um, but yeah, that was uh, yeah, it was really interesting. <coughs> I enjoyed the show for being a lead up to possibly something greater in the future. I felt like this mm-hmm. was just an extended origin story. Uh, to the point yep. where watching the first two episodes, I sat there and wondered, do they realize they've only got six to tell the story? Because the pace really not going anywhere. <laughs> I feel like that is something that has kind of haunted the Disney Plus shows because I felt the same way about Hawkeye too, where I'm like, ah, good lord, have they done anything in the first two or three episodes? And then all of a sudden the steam gets rolling there, or it gets moving there a little bit, and then finally picks up steam toward the end of it. Uh, but yeah, it does feel like they're sort of mm-hmm. like waiting out the clock at the very beginning of the game, and it's like, oh, just get moving, let's go. It's a, it's a little weird when that's your time to try to hook an audience. Right? Yeah. 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 They figure they got us pretty well captive. Yeah, speaking of audiences that are going to come back no matter how the other thing fizzled out, uh, House of the Dragoon is coming back. Now, House of the Dragon is coming back on HBO. If you guys are familiar with it, it is a two, it is a prequel, I guess, I don't know, pre, I don't know. It's set 200 years before the uh, events of Game of Thrones. Uh, it dropped its teaser trailer recently, so you can go ahead and check that out. And if you watch any HBO shows, like Darren and I were talking about the Lakers Dynasty show, uh, pretty much before every single episode, they go ahead and they air that trailer. So if you're interested in checking that out, you should. Uh, that's going to be airing on August 21st, 2022. So uh, for those folks who want to come back to um, visit that town or visit visit that land and that time period and that kind of action, uh, House of the Dragon is releasing that trailer now. I, I'm disappointed it's House of the Dragon. I thought it was House of Drogon. On. I was expecting a sitcom with Drogon after he turned back to Valyria and started a family. <laughs> it's like dinosaurs, only with dragons. Yeah, exactly. That's, I, I, that sounds like gold to me. Not the mom. No. Well, speaking of odd sitcoms, this one is not. Uh, how many of you guys were a fan of Quantum Leap? Oh, yeah. I was Back big in time the day. Quantum Leap. Yeah, was good stuff. A show. Amazing concept. Guess what? Quantum Leap is headed back to TV screens via NBC. A full season order has been given for a revival, reboot, a reboot or revival, one of the two of the classic TV series. After years of false starts for new episodes and even a movie, NBC announced the pilot of the show last year as a total reboot with no ties to the original, no Sam Beckett. No Al, no Ziggy fans have been vociferously against any sort of reboot. Since that time, few details had emerged until NBC announced that the series is coming 
in fall of 2022. Contrary to earlier reports, this is a continuation of the original series. Initially, it was reported that a new character, Dr. Ben Song, played by actor Raymond Lee, would invent and then get lost in the Quantum Leap Accelerator with no ties to Scott Bakula's Dr. Sam Beckett, no ties to Dean Stockwell's Al. In the new series, and listen to this. If you're a fan, pay attention, because I think this is great. In the new series, the Quantum Leap Accelerator is being examined and restarted 30 years after Dr. Sam Beckett disappeared. No word on Scott Bakula's involvement, which means, of course, he's going to show up at some point. Dean Stockwell, who played Al in the original series, passed away last November. Another casting note, Ernie Hudson, a character actor we all recognize for this point, is head of the Quantum Leap Project in the new series, and he plays a character that Dr. Sam Beckett leapt into during the third season of the original series. So this is 100% a continuation of the original series. Um, <clears throat> it should be noted that people wondering about Scott Bakula's involvement, he currently works for NBC as well. I feel like this is a, a drop in the bucket here. They're going to do this. Um, to me, this went from an absolutely not, and I'm angry about this, to, oh my God, fellas, time to start binging Quantum Leap before this thing hits in the fall. <laughs> That's a lot of TV, man. <laughs> uh, five seasons? Yeah, it's, uh, it's like 90 episodes or something. Oof. <laughs> oh, boy. <clears throat> I guess I'll just use that as my segue. Mark, you want to help me with this one? Oh, this is just a fun one, isn't it? Lego Muppets. Oh, yeah. They have arrived. Um, May 1st. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's they are available now. Uh, do you have the roster in front of you, Mark? Uh, I do not. I do I not. have it. Are you ready? Animal, yeah, go for it. Speaker, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, Fozzie Bear, Gonzo, Janice, Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Rolf the Dog, Statler, Waldorf, and the Swedish Chef. That's a good yes. roster. There he is. It's a lot of staples. Um, it, this, I hope. I hope leads to a full Muppet theater set. Come on, man. Let me let me tell you my thoughts on that. Okay, I, go ahead. I want I want a Muppet theater set. I want the backstage is one part. I want the theater with the curtains on the right, and I want a spot that's open in it so you can have smaller sets that you can individually plug into the stage. Oh my God, Mark. So I want, like, you know, smaller <coughs> sets sold of, like, you know, Veterinarian's Hospital, Muppet Labs, uh, Pigs in Space. And you can the just plug those trek. into the curtain. Yeah, plug those into the, cur into the curtain so they're on stage. Oh, my gosh. That's the, what I want. Come on. This would be the absolute greatest Lego set of all time. This, the, the, what you're saying right now. They're, I mean, they could say, that, "Listen, they, they're like this. Listen, this is fifteen hundred dollars." I'm like, "Yeah, well, guess what? You're getting fifteen hundred dollars because I that so, would be absolutely fantastic." So that would be sort of like the the Simpsons environments where you take one of the characters and you put it on that environment, and there's a whole chain of dialogue just for that character that comes out of that set. I remember those. Yeah, those are I still have them. I can't get rid of them. Yeah, what a shame that is, and they're well made too. 
I should probably take the batteries out of them if they haven't like corroded already. Easy enough to clean. Hmm. What anyway? Um, yeah. we have in front of us or behind us, depending on what day this is, a bit of a infamous anniversary, don't we? Yes, the kind of anniversary that is not so much of a celebration of the thing that we are celebrating, other than the fact to simply think, man, that was 20 years ago. What was I doing 20 years ago? That's right. Like, like remembering D-Day or something yeah. like that. Or... <laughs> a smaller yeah, scale. Something obviously. far less infamous and far less celebratory. Uh, it was 20 years ago this month, the month of May 2022, that Star Wars released its very famous although for not all the right reasons attack of the clones that would have been the second in the three prequel trilogies uh so that did celebrate its 20 year anniversary recently if you guys are interested in checking out some of the information and and uh listening to a group of nerds try to polish that turd you can go over to starwars.com while they try to revisit that content and tell you hey this wasn't as bad as you think it was only for you to go revisit the movie again and be like think it might have been that bad actually um however you take out the love story part of it which again i'm all for love stories perfectly fine not a problem it's just the the i mentioned it before the dialogue it's the dialogue oh it's the dialogue and, and you know what and the part of it is is the delivery and and i don't want to crap on actors necessarily because sometimes they're kind of doing what the director asked them to do but man hayden christensen is two-dimensional in that film and he is very tough to to stomach well uh, nonetheless so is natalie portman so that points at the director <laughs> yeah yeah i would agree i i, I don't want to chastise those characters too much and the actors that portrayed them but yeah that was a tough pill to swallow although i will say there are some actually some fascinating far, parts in that movie uh and freudian slipped there when i said farts there but uh, <laughs> yeah, unless, that was not indeed. unnoticed <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I, I do enjoy the Obi-Wan visiting Camino and things like that. But but other than that, there really wasn't a whole lot to, to celebrate about this film other than to simply say, yeah, I remember 20 years ago. So, old. so was uh, sending the clones the worst of the prequels? <laughs> That'll work for me. Yeah. I, I honestly don't remember much about any of them. Yes. And it's called, to me, it's called The Great Schism. Because that's when the, the fan base divided after that movie hit, man. Because you had those who just convinced themselves, I've come this far, I'm going forward. And those of you, there were those of us who were like, well, then I have wasted far too much time on this. And that's the kind of camp I fell in. And when they went to Camino, I, I thought they were literally, he was going to Camino because they were breeding cars and trucks. Yep. It yep. turns out that's not the case. That, that's planet El Camino. Yes, it is. Yes. Ah, yeah. And I think we've used that joke already too, but we have, and I'm okay with it. I think it's a great joke. I remember Darren, you and I both convinced ourselves that Phantom Menace was pretty good until we got it on home video. <laughs> yeah, and then we convinced ourselves it was good again. You're like, yeah. It wasn't when this I popped bad. the VHS in and watched it after I finally got, it, I was like, I was so excited to watch it again. I watched it, I'm like, uh, that wasn't great. <laughs> and I was going to abstain on. Uh, Attack of the Clones, but a friend gave me the book to read, which was written by one of my favorite fantasy authors at the time, R.A. Salvatore, and the book was fantastic. And so I went with them to see the movie. It was nothing like the book. It never is. Which stinks, because I think the best movie out of the prequel trilogy comes at the very end of it with Revenge of the Sith, and it's really a bummer that that it just kind of like flamed out before, and so everybody kind of lumps that one in, not recognizing that that was a, a really good setup. 
uh, for the uh, for the original trilogy. But nonetheless, I mean that that's arguably Hayden Christensen's best performance is, is Darth Vader. So maybe that's what fans are thinking of when they get excited when they hear his name coming back for Obi-Wan and Ahsoka and things like that. But every time I get excited for Obi-Wan, I go, oh yeah, that there's that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well that are a little bit older, uh, why don't you go ahead and talk to us a little bit about Duke? Darren? All right. How many of us played Duke Nukem 3D? Hands in the air. Gary hey. and I played that thing to played it once, twice. So anyway. Duke Nukem Forever. Boy, if there is a more infamous video game in history, well, let's just say there are, but whenever you mention infamous video games, this one's eventually going to come up. That was like 10 or 20 years ago, wasn't it? 11 years after it was released to justifiably terrible reviews, which was already 14 years after it was announced. That's 37 years for for those of you trying to do the math in your head. We are somehow still not done with Duke Nukem Forever. Now I say this confidently enough because there is someone else in this podcast who has gone down this, if you go and reach for your calculator, Gary, you have fallen for my trap. <laughs> for those who has go down by my, who will go down this road by my side and likely will again. The source code for one of the earlier, more complete, but by far not finished games has been found and confirmed to be authentic. It was found by a 4chan user who is remaining anonymous, only identified as XOR at this point, or I just don't understand 4chan. It was confirmed to be accurate by one of the original producers, George Broussard, who stated that the game is far from finished and has very little playability, which is why it wasn't released. However, XOR claims the team has ported the code to the Unreal Engine to finish the levels as much as they can and intend to release this game next month. That's June 2022 for those listening in the far-flung future. It is believed that this version is from sometime around 2001. Yes, Gary, I will be seeking this out. It is going to be terrible, and I cannot wait. We will suffer together. Yes, we will. Uh, there are a couple people here that went to a midnight release party for Duke Nukem Forever and immediately recorded it within a half an hour. Oh, my God. That's a heck of a memory, though, isn't it? God. Well, <laughs> this, this isn't great, is it? Nope. <laughs> it was unplayable. I think I got we got I, stuck with, like, the remote control truck or something. We had to, like, unlock a door. And it was just we're like, oh, my God, this. I mean, if they would have just given us an hour and it couldn't even do that. God. And it was a cat. We bought it on council. I mean, geez. I'll, I'll just be the odd man out and say well, I never understood Duke Nukem's appeal. It was OK. I didn't love so it. I didn't hate it. It was so just kind of there. You go around shooting stuff, man. You shoot oh, one part right? army of darkness. You're with reading a little too oh, yeah, much into it. If you think it's more than lift any of those really is from uh, you know <clears throat> Ash Williams at all. <laughs> no, and then, the they king, didn't baby. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I didn't quite get it. it was, I'm not saying it sucked. I'm not saying it was bad. It just didn't, you know. <laughs> what? There's, there's nothing to get. There's nothing to get. Meathead is like gone. Doom, there was a little sort of, uh, you had to sort of pay attention. If you were paying attention to Duke Nukem Forever or Duke Nukem 3D, 
You already lost. Okay. <laughs> that was your problem. You paid it. Fair enough. All right, guys. Uh, anyone, anyone want to comment on any of the news stories? There's a lot of stuff to go over here. Uh, I did have a question about Ahsoka. Uh, Matt, it's safe to say, is she... And I, I guess I don't know what we call expanded universe anymore because Disney tells us there is no expanded universe. I say BS. And you know why I know? Because you're bringing in Grand Admiral Thrawn, who is from the expanded universe. So you can't claim that anymore, idiots. Didn't they change um, it to calling yeah. Legends or something like that? Legends. Yeah, it's Legends. legends whatever. So. Is, is Ahsoka the most successful or most popular expanded universe character? Oh, she's one of them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, yeah, but that's not an expanded universe character. So, because a canonical, yeah, she was canonical because she appeared in the Clone Wars with the. Uh, okay, Wars so, yeah. so, okay, so I guess I don't know. I that's so, they're, they're so confusing anymore. I don't know. I was gonna say no. She was. I, mean, I, I guess see what you mean. <laughs> I think what you're asking is she the most famous character or the most popular character amongst fans that wasn't in any of the actual films at this point. So that's probably what you're going for. But I think that. Yeah, I, w- I would say she's got to be one of the favorites. But I mean, it, it, recency bias here, obviously. I think Mandalorian has definitely picked up steam with that as well. And I think I've okay. you talked about Grand Admiral Thrawn. I think, I mean, when it aired to the Empire, was that 1991? I, I would say like, yeah. he, if you're really talking about the power of the expanded universe on canon, I think he's got to be a number one. There, I don't think there's anybody close. So I guess, I guess what it becomes then is, I guess the way I process it is the original trilogy characters are sort of like, they're their own thing. Like everything branches off of that, like Luke, Han, Leia, Obi-Wan. Like this and these are the, the untouchable. Everything branches off of this. So everything is secondary to that. Skywalker. Um, yeah. So outside of that original trilogy, those who would be elevated, like, and, and you can, and if you want to really get into it, you could say, like, well, Boba Fett is falling. So who is rising? You know, something mm-hmm. like that. But uh, I mean, it's funny. I wasn't that familiar with her. I've seen some of the Clone Wars. And initially, she is like really freaking annoying. Okay. Yeah. She yeah. does sort of level out towards and she becomes a very likable character. I've gotten to where she is now. Um, I, I start to understand, like, oh, yeah, she is pretty cool. I do see why people like her a lot. Um, it, it didn't, <clears throat> having recently watched through the entire series, it didn't take long for her to level out. No, not really. But and, I got quite frankly, everybody warned me how annoying she was. I thought Anakin in first season was way more. Annoying well, they were than both annoying together. Basically, <laughs> oh, yeah, playing off each other was awful. I mean, I could like is she like in love with him. I mean, it's like episode seven or eight. She starts to level out a bit. I think. Um, all right. Well, that was just my question. I just wondered. Uh, you guys are the experts on that end. <clears throat> what do we think? We ready to move on here? Yeah, I like this next idea. Go all ahead, right. Man. All right, so the era of the comic book movie. We're going to do a little uh, forecasting here in superhero media as we sit here uh, just after Doctor Strange has hit the box office. Um, so I have a question. Here we are in, like, let's call this, we're in the second decade now of the superhero genre as a box office powerhouse. I sort of figure 2005 to 2008, depending on where you want to really see the up. I would say the uptick in quality, X-Men, Spider-Man, yeah, was, and yeah, then, I'd say around you know, 2000. but it's not, but there's one or two of these things a year, right? So you really know you're in a trend, like in the 60s, there was a Western as as often as there was an MCU film. So now we're in the second decade of um, 
really this MCU and this in this genre and this era of superhero movies being almost ubiquitous and and you know there's only one ever a couple of weeks down the road it seems like and we've had that again we had spider-man we have batman now it's dr strange and you know thor is on its way there's more coming right and so with dc movies still defining fans is the genre due for a crash can second or third tier marvel characters sustain future productions now i got a kind of a lengthy uh, intro here, but I'm going to engage you guys periodically through this to sort of run, to sort of run the conversation. Now we're going to begin with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Anyone heard of this thing? Yeah, it rings a bell. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of popular yeah, right now. Uh, well, here we are on May 10th. Where are we with this? I'm behind. I have not seen Spider-Man, um, but I'm caught up to Spider-Man. Anyone else? I mean, Doctor Strange, I'm guessing none of us saw that yet. Yeah, not yet. I have not. I have not. Okay. Uh, have you guys all seen Spider-Man? Yes, yes I have. Okay. So uh, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm furthest behind, which is, honestly, I'm doing pretty good. Um, but we can't begin anywhere else because this is the behemoth that is. Following years of direct-to-video efforts like the ill-conceived Punisher and Captain America movies, or productions that were never even released, Roger Corr's Fantastic Four, anyone, which somehow is still the best cinematic outing for the Fantastic Four. Prove me wrong. Still has it the best looking Doctor Doom, that's for sure. <laughs> it, yes. Mark, that is one of my favorite. Uh, when you came up from Cincinnati, we watched that movie. Oh, my God. That was fun. It was, it was fun. It was fun. I give it, it. That one is fun. Marvel then experienced early success in the late 90s with... Blade. Blade. Blade, you got it. A seldom used fourth or even fifth-tier Marvel character that presented a hint of what was possible if the movies were taken seriously. Sadly, Blade saw diminishing returns for its sequels and only led to a slew of embarrassing follow-up films and spin-offs of other failed launches. Then in 2008, with Iron Man, the MCU eventually kicked off and has blossomed into the unquestioned king of movie series, lapping the field at this point, pulling it over... 25 billion dollars in change through worldwide box office returns and counting for those wondering tyler perry's medea series is a distant second with 21 billion as we approach the all-important summer movie season moviegoers appear to still be riding the superhero wave as the most recent hope high profile offerings spider-man far from home and the 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 bat the the bat the batman i just can't get that rhythm right i'm sorry has set records at the box office and through streaming marvel's doctor strange sequel appears poised to be another rousing mcu success following a massive 450 million dollar opening still hollywood exists on the ebb and flow of trends it always has so when does it all end when does this wave finally crash to the shore as it did, literally and figuratively, with a Bermuda shorts to Adam West Batman long boarding the genre's initial craze to its first initial crash in 1969? To paraphrase Zack Snyder's The Watchmen, that sound you heard was Alan Moore's pounding fists on anything he can find, is the end nigh? These are the jokes, guys. I'm not explaining them all. 
We will absolutely answer this question definitively, but with room for multiple avenues of non sequiturs and also what is sure to be a giant non-answer. Now, I really wish Phil were here for this because his opinion would come straight from the top as he has beat the drum for the MCU since we started this podcast back in 2012. But let me see if I can offer a paraphrased summarization of what he has so far opined for 10 years in this podcast. Everything Marvel does is perfect, above criticism, and will never end. I thought he was in the room with us for a second there. Sound about right then, I guess. All right, anyway, lots to cover here, but first some context. Any comments before we proceed? I'm going to stop laughing first. <laughs> Well, anyway, we do spend a lot of time indexing things in this podcast. So to provide a standard by which to measure, and I do feel like I'm steering right into the lanes of both Matt and Mark here, um, to provide a standard by which to measure the success of a film series, here is an updated list of the top grossing movies of all time as of April 2022. I went with worldwide numbers because... While I am interested in the numbers, I don't want to venture too far down that rabbit hole going domestic versus European versus Asian. Most films of this magnitude are kind of global events anyway, would we agree? Yes. Yep. Yes. 100%. So the numbers I have are according to Box Office Mojo, which I cross-referenced with Wikipedia references to find out that their list was generated from box office mojo so i then cross-reference with rotten tomatoes screen rent and geek geek tyrant only to find out that they all use box, box office mojo so bit of a time waster on my part nevertheless marvel owns eight of the top 25 spots and all similar lists i consulted the only change was the order in which the films were listed quick note as of this writing spider-man no way home just outside the top five at number six matt you want to take stab at the top five correct order is not necessary remember we're talking worldwide gross eyes to the camera well i already know the top two right i mean it's always uh avatar is the number one or at least it was when they did a re-release of it and then the second one was um the end game right uh um, yeah, infinity war so that should be one and two uh right. I know those are one and two. I'm trying to think of that. I, I, I know over three. multiple releases, Titanic's in there somewhere. It has to be yep. number three or four, right? Number three. Number three. Okay. I'm trying to think of worldwide phenomena at this point. So if you're telling me, so we've already crossed off. So you said eight of the top 10 and we've already said two eight films of the top that are 10. not. They've got eight of the top. No, Marvel owns eight of the top 25. Oh, my mistake. So you've got Avatar, Endgame, and Titanic. Those are one, two, and three. So you guys are right about that. So, so what about four, four and five? Are they MCU? Just out of curiosity before we... One of them jump. is. One of them is. Wow, oh, okay. Obvious. Which one is it? Endgame. Or I'm sorry, Infinity War. Infinity yeah. War. That's five. What's number four? Gosh. Mm. Silence. The, yeah. the great friend of the audio media. <laughs> Star right, Wars: The Force Awakens. Is Force Awakens. I should have known that. Damn it! Right, two point four billion dollars. Right? Is that what yeah, it was? A lot. Something like that. Now, for the heck of it, Mark, care to take a stab at the highest-grossing DC movie? Bonus points if you guess correctly and come within three spots of where it is positioned. 
Yeah, I, I don't really care enough, but uh, I'll try. <laughs> uh, DC, it, it's got to be the Dark Knight. Well, and this is going to speak to why this next part, uh, this one was a surprise to me as well, as I have not even seen Aquaman, which comes in at number 24. But this is, and now here, this leads right into my next part because that's what I would have guessed. In fact, I know The Dark Knight was number two all time as little as 10 years ago. So these numbers do tell a lie, don't they? Ticket sales versus tickets sold. We all know the cost of seeing a movie 10, 20, 70 years ago. Keep in mind, the cost of seeing a movie in 10 years is almost double. Um, the, the costs are dramatically different than today. As we record this, controversy surrounds AMC theaters raising ticket prices to see the Batman. So as the Batman climbs the charts, even a comparison to the Spider-Man No Way Home, which only precedes it by four months, may not be the truest of comparisons. That sound you heard was Phil banging his fist on something. Further, consider films like Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, or Batman 89, or The Dark Knight, as we just mentioned, which all took turns near or at the top. Gary, what's your guess here? Which, if any of these movies remain in the top 100, Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, or Batman 89, remember, each one of these took their turn at or near the top of the top movies of all time. Jaws, Raiders. If I pick one of those three, I would go with Raiders. Okay. But I'm trying to think the last time someone would had to have paid to see it. IMAX re-release. Well, uh, good point. Re-releases. Um, I was going to say with re-releases, I'm surprised it wouldn't be Jaws. I'm, I'm still going to go with Raiders, but I'm not really confident that any of them top, are in it. Still in the top 100? Batman 89, Jaws, Raiders. Raiders, is, so your guess is Raiders is the only one still in the top 100? And I'm not even sure that one's still in it. You're right. Say, oh, you're out. Well, your 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 neck your your um your your second intuition is right. None of them are in the top 100. Jaws comes in at 247. Raiders at 363, and Batman 89 at 306. So movies at the top of the heap in terms of worldwide gross didn't even give us an honest depiction of how many have seen the movie, or perhaps more importantly, their cultural impact. Certainly, a case could be made that all three of these have a higher cultural impact than any of the movies in the top five. I said a case could be made. I didn't say it was true. Exhibit A could be Jaws, which at one point was the highest grossing movie of all time, now at number 247, ceding that title to two, Star Wars just two years later, which is in the top 10, by the way. Jaws is credited for creating the summer movie blockbuster season. Exhibit B here could be Batman 89, while movies such as Infinity War, Endgame, and Avatar Force Awakens find themselves in the top five. It's hard to imagine any of them having the cultural impact that Batman did when that thing came out in the summer of 1989 on into the same fall, on into the next year even. The bat symbol was everywhere on everything imaginable. The music and soundtrack dominated the pop charts. It spawned games, books, toys, the obligatory 80s breakfast cereal, clothing lines, and in terms of pure visibility, something in movie history that has not been matched since I know some people are going, well, I see all that stuff for uh, Endgame. Find me the Endgame breakfast cereal. You can't. Also, a case can be made that Batman 89 ignited the movie superhero movie genre. So then the question becomes, is there a better gauge 
for a singular movie's overall cultural, cultural impact? Eh, that one's hard to figure. Right. Well, you need to move the goalposts for cultural impact, though, because the decades have changed. Breakfast cereal isn't the map anymore. App sales is the map. Uh, online experiences are the map. VR is the map. You know, there's, there's a different benchmark for what it is now. Breakfast cereal isn't the, oh, hey, that's made it these days. You know, that was a joke, right? <laughs> no, you're, I missed you're that. One, right over my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Batman breakfast cereal was, was my was my key to proving that Batman was somehow at a higher cultural level. No, and by the way, yeah, no, I took you seriously. No, that was that was not at all. That was. Well, I walked right yeah. into that one. Yeah, you, you sure did. But I'll say this: your point is very well taken. That the the, the goalposts have moved. That there are so many other things. Uh, out there such as apps and vr experiences and you're right you're 100 correct um i did want to look at numbers as they were adjusting for inflation but man that is way too incomplete a story so i looked at admissions or tickets sold literally the number of people who paid to see the movie removing the price of a ticket from the equation those numbers are kind of all over the place too because as recently as 2019 the highest number of available theaters to which to see movies could play were out there Movies like Gone with the Wind and the original Star Wars or Jaws, which were one and two respectively in all other lists considered, they only had like 3,000 theaters in the entire country, let alone 3,000 theaters in Northeast Ohio at one point. Of course, many of these have closed. So straight admissions or tickets sold make the pricing in the theater availability irrelevant. Yeah, I don't know. How much higher would repeat viewers raise Star Wars? or Raiders of the Lost Ark, if there were theaters on every corner, like there seemingly have been just a few years ago. So those numbers are all over the place too. So the best list I found, they simply took box office receipts, divided the total number by the average ticket price of that year in which the movies was released, which is as close to one could get, I think, to an accurate depiction of the number of people who saw a movie during its theatrical release, most of the numbers I saw only accounted for the original theatrical releases, not counting any theatrical re-release. A quick note, there is an IMDb list making the rounds that sees Spider-Man passing E.T. to claim the number five spot. It only considers movies since the 1980s, though. Yeah, so I went a little bit too far down the road on this one because there is no conclusive evidence. These numbers that the, I just referenced that they're trying to figure out the uh, ticket sales versus ticket prices, the list isn't done. It's been over a decade at this point since superhero movies began dominating the charts, then dominating all conceivable metrics. But another angle could be explored is the sheer volume of movies out there. Three or four of these a year eventually pushed me out as an experienced superhero lover. Superhero fatigue was a big thing for me for a while in this podcast. It wasn't that I didn't like the Marvel movies. I had enough. It was too much. I'm like, I need something else for a while. And I have to say, I'm kind of there again. So when I say I really, I'm not interested in Spider-Man Far From Home or Moon Knight or even the Batman, I'm not propping myself up as an elitist comic snob here. I just got to take a break. Um, so I do think it's time for something else. Marvel has proven sustainable by relying on second or third tier characters to take over as the headliners wind down. I think it's going to continue, but, and Dr. Strange may be proving me wrong here. 
are the days of box office bonanzas like Avengers and Spider-Man. They're strange. Bonafide, are they gone? I think bonafide hits are still within their wheelhouse as Shang-Chi and even the tepidly received Eternals will attest. Spider-Man does look to be eyeing the finish line. Batman is starting again. These trends, they kind of hang around for a decade or so. The comic book superhero genre is definitely testing those limits. Something needs to come along to take its place for the comic book movie to, as the top trend in order for the superhero movie genre to be sustained, thereby avoiding the oversaturation, which for 10 years has been kind of like going to a pasta buffet and eating only salad. So guys, what are we expecting from the MCU at your point? Um, what's your take on forecasting? And one quick reminder, um, I threw out there that the, the number two highest grossing movie series is not Medea, by the way. It's Star Wars. Good catch on that one, guys. You didn't see my face when you said that? <laughs> like, anyway. Um, I was expecting full-on wine bottles to be thrown at people's uh, cameras. <laughs> like, wait. Um, um, all right. I don't know how exactly this fits in, but... Look at Star Wars. Okay, Star Wars came out, you know, when we were young. It rose to great heights, and then it just carried on. And then there was a number of decades before they came out with the prequels. Now, you have a whole new generation of people who are now going to the theaters. Marvel has run into, I don't know, they don't necessarily have the luxury of taking 30 years off and coming back because they're still basically selling tickets to the same people that they sold tickets to 10 years ago. But if you, like we've talked about down in Disney, like, you know, that this, this star Wars attraction would be so much cooler if it were Darth Vader, you know, Darth Vader is, you know, an old people villain, you know, um, Kylo Ren, you know, that's for the younger kids. Yeah, well, that was so, you know, and Ray and, you know, all, all that, that <laughs> entire, entire class. So unfortunately, when you have movies, your actors get older in comic books. You don't have that. You could have Superman be 35 years old for 60 years. Um, so you kind of have to cycle through a new group. Um, do I think it's sustainable? Yes, I do. But I think they have to sever ties from what they've already put out if you've noticed in the eternals they mention the snap briefly but they never reference it um moon knight there's like a couple like advertisements on a passing bus but the snap is never referenced so they're already trying to distance themselves from what has happened already so that they can kind of isolate in their own little new bubble whatever's happening next and yet they still have to have some loose tie-ins, Shang-Chi at the very end. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be the same juggernaut that it's been, but I think they can at least maintain a level that'll be profitable, but not the kind that's going to destroy everything else around it. Matt, what do you think? Uh, <clears throat> I think, to be honest with you, I, I think you're starting to hear it. So I listen to a lot of movie podcasts in addition to, uh, you know, uh, kind of pop culture things, but specifically with movies, I think you're already starting to hear 
particular segment of the of you know people our age and maybe a little bit younger who are already kind of clamoring for less gaudy films i think they're they're looking for things that are a little bit more cinematic and that isn't to criticize to say that there aren't things in the mcu or even in you know the dcu that are somewhat cinematic but i think small budget um character driven story driven shows or, or movies rather are gonna we're gonna see a rise uh things that are a little bit less um bloated i, I kind of think about this so when i was growing up punk music was a thing that's what my buddies and i listened to it was the 90s and, and it wasn't real you know it wasn't the original wave of punk music but you think about punk punk music um roots right you're talking about the mid to late 70s and you're talking about the early 80s well the whole focus of punk movement was a response to what they felt was like this bloated idea of rock and roll and, and while i love led zeppelin too you know some of their songs are eight nine ten minutes long and it's like no this, this is not what we need we don't we need to simplify it just get back to our roots to back to what we're going to do and it feels like right now the mcu is a little bit of that like 60s 70s rock and roll where it's like okay it's starting to kind of enjoy itself a little bit too much and perhaps we're going to see some of these i wouldn't say punk our tours but definitely kind of like these directors that are going to go more for that feeling of of you know more relatable human emotion as opposed to super superpowers and things like that i i feel like we're going to see a swell but but then again you're also talking to somebody who both likes those movies you know the small cinema stuff uh, as well as enjoys going and seeing the events. So I think if anything else, the, the the ticket prices, sure, they'll probably level off a little bit, but you'll still have the same number of fans that want to go see these things for sure. Maybe what you might start to find is that there's fewer of them released every single year. So instead of saying three, four, five movies, really three, right, three or four movies per year, you, you might see one or two. You'll still, still be big events and things like that. But I, I don't know, MCU's got a story to tell and, and they're not letting off the gas anytime soon. So as long as there's an audience, but if you're looking for me to kind of predict the future from a movie's perspective, I feel like eventually it'll go back down to kind of what we probably grew up with in the 90s, a little bit of that kind of, you know, maybe some, you mentioned Kevin Smith before, Quentin Tarantino from the 90s or Steven Soderbergh or those kind of men and women who, who designed shows and, and, and made movies from a, almost an outsider's perspective. I assume we'll probably see some kind of uh, wave of that too coming up here in the 20s and the 30s. So we'll see how it goes out. But I mean, MCU, I think is kind of a here to stay. I think that's a, I think that's going to be here for a little while. Yeah. Mark, what do you think? Uh, you know, I agree with uh, many of the points that were just brought up. I think uh, Gary actually raised an interesting one that it could touch on a little more of it. With it being this long lived of a cinematic universe with Marvel, without those gaps, I think you start getting burnout within the same generation instead of even multi-generational or multi-generational burnout because it's going to be a constant. It's always going to be there as people are growing up for 25 years. And, you know, I, I agree with Matt. I don't think Marvel's going to lay off the gas anytime soon. They are uh, definitely going to keep pushing it. Uh, experience has shown us with uh, the Star Wars uh, non-saga movies they were putting out, like Rogue One and Solo. Disney will push that envelope until the floor falls out from under them and it becomes unviable. I mean, um, they're, they're going to keep pressing the MCU as long as it's a cash cow. That's a given. It's a business. Um, as far as whether third and fourth string characters can carry the ball, I mean, if they can be Shang-Chi, sure. <laughs> but uh, my thought is, I think, moving forward, I, I kind of agree with Matt, we're going to have to strike a balance. 
And I think the way forward for comic book movies is going to end up being more the example set by Deadpool or Joker, where it's more of a low-budget movie that's concerned with making a movie rather than with making a spectacle. And I mean, yeah, Deadpool comes off a spectacle in places, but that's not really its aim. Its aim is a comedy, and its aim is to entertain, and it hits that really well. Um, it's not trying to push another story forward either. It's a, kind of its own. Yeah, it's it's not trying to set up the next thing, set up the next thing, set up the next thing. I think that's what a lot of us are really getting tired of is the relentlessness of it. That <laughs> Yeah, I think, like you said, we need a break. Well, well I really can... wish Phil were here. Uh, tell us what he thinks uh, without being uh, jokey about this. I do. Uh, I guess it'll be interesting to see. Matt, you want to wrap this thing up for us? Well, I got one, one more real quick, but like literally really quick. There was that report that they were talking about making a standalone Marvel theme park. So if that's in the works, they're not going to let up anytime soon. Oh, good point. Real good point. I, I just don't see logistically how that's going to happen, though. I mean, they can't, they can't use Marvel characters like Avengers east of the Mississippi for their agreement with Universal. Which means they've either got to try to do it in Disneyland, where they're out of space completely, do it in another theme park, open it somewhere else, which takes away visitation from the other two established parks, which seems like a poor business move, or move it overseas. I, I'm not even sure how that would work. All right. All right, gentlemen. Well, that'll wrap it up here. So we appreciate you guys spending another uh, set of time, I guess. I was going to say another hour, but a little bit more than that. Uh, with us here at Panel Scanners. Uh, stay tuned for next episode where I'm going to play a little trivia with the boys here, which is I'm tentatively calling Wookiees, Orcs, and Geography Dorks, where we try to determine whether the word I said is a planet in Star Wars universe, Middle Earth town or fort, or a real place. Also, Gary's going to be doing a retroactive review of the 1998 comic Battle Chasers. So please stay tuned for that. And as always... Enjoy your comments.